purposes to accomplish God's overall plan. Not just one, not, not just a pastor, but it takes all of our voices to do what he wants us to do. And with many voices, there's wisdom. I think the Bible actually says that. That to get counsel is wise. Go to others. Ask them, what do you think about what I'm going to try to do? And, and that helps us. So just realize that uh, as we're moving ahead here at the Hope, our overall goal is to have many voices. And we may not be there yet. For some of you, you're like, well, man, when are you going to listen to me? Um, but just be patient. We're getting there. We really are. We're, we're striving toward involvement for everybody that wants to be a part of the church and a part of this body of Christ. Um, with that said, how many are doing good this Sunday? Good. Yes, amen. I know many of you have been through some things. Uh, some of you have gone through COVID. Some who weren't here today have gone through COVID. Uh, we seem to have a few uh, still working that out. You, I want you to keep in mind uh, uh, Ed Bellinger. He's in uh, the hospital down in Arizona, and uh, he needs our prayers. Ed and Yvonne go here in the nicer months, and uh, we miss them, but Yvonne's been keeping us up to date. If you're on the uh, intercessory prayer list, You'll see that. If you're not getting that, by the way, and you're signed up for it, let me know or let Barb know, and we'll make sure that you get on that list. And it's not my intention to stand up here and yammer this morning uh, about information, but sometimes we need to do that. I'm glad to see all of you made it here today, even though we had, how many had eight plus inches? <laughs> yeah. Didn't they say, just correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they say a few inches? Wasn't that what I originally heard? And What happened? It's like, again? Yes, whenever they say there's not going to be much, that's when we need to worry. Well, we shouldn't worry about anything, I guess. But Today, I want to start uh, a new series, or at least I'm going to call it a new series, for the sake of a better way to put it. And I wanted to start out by asking, who is the church? Capital C, who is the church? We are. We are. We are the people. We are the body of Christ, amen? Now, what makes us, the disciples of Christ, what makes us different from those who don't follow Christ or who aren't there yet? Aren't there numerous things? Probably. I would, I would like to say there is. Because I'm planning on doing a series on this topic. So if there's only one or two things, it's not going to be very long. So I'm titling this, The Right Stuff, Who Are Jesus' Disciples. The Right Stuff, Who Are Jesus' Disciples. And I'd like to start with prayer, if that's okay. Father, we again are humbled to be in your presence and Lord, we believe wherever two or more are gathered, you are in our midst. Lord, we pray for those who are sick in body today. Uh, we ask that you would just bring healing to their physical bodies, believing that it is by your stripes they are healed. 
And Lord, we again uh, just ask you to bring comfort to those who've lost loved ones recently. And uh, again, Lord, as, as I present this message today, I pray that you, Lord, would soften our hearts, that you would ensure that it reaches good ground, and Lord, that we would leave here today different than when we came in, better, more mature, uh, Lord, that you would build up the saints as only you can. We thank you for everything you're doing here at The Hope, and we pray that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So what makes a disciple of Jesus different from others? I believe that the biggest difference is that Christ's disciples recognize that everything they have and are is contributed to the grace and the mercy of our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and this isn't, where I'm, this isn't my main text today, but I just wanted to bear this out. It just says, God saved you by his what? When you what? All right, so there is an action on your part, and that is to believe, but you were saved by grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. So as far as your salvation goes, as far as your name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you being prepared to enter heaven when that day comes, what you need to do is believe in Jesus. Amen? Therefore, speaking about Jesus' disciples, we do not seek status for ourselves, right? Nor gratification for the things that we accomplish. Have you ever been around people that like to boast? Isn't it a joy? Most of us just want to get away from folks like that. But instead, we seek to bring God all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor for his magnificent work that is accomplished in and through us. I shared this quote last week, but it bears repeating. In his book, Tempered Resilience, Todd Bolsinger said, Christianity is faith and practice as a response to the saving grace of God. Everything that we do, everything that we're about is connected to God's grace. And as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we are expected to believe in God's one and only Son, Jesus. And then we're expected to exercise our faith in response to God's love and what he's called us to do. Now over the next, well, I'm actually going to be off for a Sunday or two. Uh, next Sunday we have a guest speaker. And it is Jennifer Van Rickenham. Remember her? Right. And they'll, they'll be bringing, in, their whole team's coming with them. So from the, um, the Gillard, I'm going to say it wrong, New Life Pregnancy Resource Center. Did I do it right? Woo! Anyway, uh, she was excited about this, and, and this is, this Sunday, next Sunday, this is when they are uh, talking highly about being pro-life and things like that. So I think it's a very timely message that we're going to hear from her. Um, she's also going to bring some of those baby bottles with her. So for those of you who like putting your change in that, 
a little bottle. That really helps them. They, they get a lot of funds from that. So they'll bring those with them next Sunday. And then the following week, is she in here? No, she escaped. Uh, Pastor Byron is going to be speaking. And why, why am I not being here? Why am I not going to be? I'm going to be here next Sunday, and I'm going to be here the following Sunday. But I'm, I'm in my last class that week in between the 30th and the first Sunday of February. And uh, this is crunch time. So I would, I would covet your prayers for anybody that thinks of me. It is way too quiet in here today. And I'm just going to be really quiet if you guys don't start acting like you're listening. Really, that was a good time for you to say something. Wow. As much as we are a part of the body of Christ and we exercise our faith in response to God's love, the one thing that I want you to catch is that we cannot compare ourselves to one another. And I think this is a real issue with some, is that we start judging how we're behaving, how we're acting, how we're perceiving God, like we see someone else doing. And that's dangerous. Why? Because none of us are alike. You know, if, if the God we serve can take every snowflake, and if there's a lot of snowflakes out there today, if he can take every snowflake and make them different, and somebody took the time to photograph millions of snowflakes, and then they put them in a computer and they analyzed them to see if any were alike, and they weren't. None of them were alike. And it's like, this is the God we serve. Something that small is unique. And I believe that we are so much more unique than those snowflakes. They, that we are. And this verse actually talks about this, and it's right after Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and it's verse 10. And it says this, We are what? God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Look at your neighbor and say, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And then add this. Created anew to do good works. Created anew to do good works. We need to hear this. Each of us has something that God wants to do in us and through us. He didn't make us different so that we could all do the same thing. He made us different so that we'd all be unique, uniquely designed, uniquely... We can do things different than one another. And we need that. That's, that's what makes the body of Christ, right? What, God has, what has God prepared for you what were you created to do? And, and these are questions that I hope you start asking as we proceed through this new year. If everybody or most of us, I'm going to be optimistic, if 90% of us figure out what God is challenging us to be and do, hang on to your socks. Because I'm telling you, 
there's going to be an explosion at the hope in a good way, right? The dunamis is going to be released. The power of God is going to be released if we figure out what it is God wants to do with us. Now, I want you to think of the 12, the first 12 guys that Jesus said, come, follow me. And, and, and he drew them from all different walks of life, right? Fishermen, um, tax collectors. One of them was a doctor, right? So they're all different. They were all unique. No way, in no way, shape, or form were any two of them the same. And the difference was almost night and day. And just think about Peter and John for an example. Peter is this loud, boisterous kind of guy that he likes vocalizing how he feels, right? And he often stepped in and put his foot in his mouth. John, on the other hand, was more the quiet guy, gentle, loving. In fact, in one of the verses, we actually see him leaning his head on the Lord's chest in intimacy, an intimate moment. Now, we don't do that so much anymore. But back then, apparently, this was a common thing. So what I want you to get, though, is that we are all unique, we are all different, and yet God uses us. He used those two men equally, right? Peter and John. He used them equally, and he'll do the same with us. Now, I've come to the conclusion that because we are all unique, that we are all a masterpiece, that the life one person is given versus another is going to be different. No two are the same. That means that each one of us has our own story to tell. And if you're not telling your story, then there's something missing in this church. Let me say that again. Each of us has our own story to tell. And if we only hear one story or two stories, we're not hearing the whole story of the church. We need to hear more of your stories. What God has done, what He did, first of all, to bring you to that saving grace. And what is He continuing to do in your life? We need to tell people our story. And let's start here. Wouldn't that be awesome? Some of you are like, uh-uh. I want to hear from you. Now, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'm feeling like the Lord's saying, look, if you are the body of Christ, then you need to get to know each other. And what better way than to have you learn to share your story? Can we do that in three minutes or five minutes? Laura's like, nope. Can we, can we condense it, though, just to give people a, an, an idea of who we are? I think we can. And I don't know what this is going to look like yet. But I'm just sharing this because I want to hear from you guys. And maybe, maybe where we'll start is, email me your story. But keep it, keep it a page or two, right? Because realize there's so much... I'm reading too much right now, but uh, eventually that won't be an issue. By the way, I'm done on April 1st. I have to have all my stuff done, so 
by April 1st, you're going to see a new, a new man. I may be collapsed on the floor, but you're going to see a new man. I'm looking forward to that day. Though we're all different by design, by God's design, one thing we do have in common is that we're all a part of the body of Christ. The other thing that we have in common is that we're all headed in the same direction. Meaning what? How many are aiming for heaven? How many aren't? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody not going to heaven here that wants to go? All right. So I think we're all together, right? Maybe. And that leads me to our newest tagline, as I like to call it, or our mission. And it's on that little thing out there, helping others prepare for eternity. And this is something I really want to get into everybody's spirit. Because if we start looking at every moment that God gives us, thinking about how can I help this person to prepare for eternity, for what God has for them in the next life. What will that look like? Okay. Wow. So, I am going to start reading from Matthew 7. If somebody can get encouraged, it would really help. Not helping. Thank you. There we go. Even though we're all aiming for heaven, we all get there in a different way. How you get there is going to be different than how I get there. Some of you may be called into a, one of the five uh, ministry parts of the body. You know, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, or the teachers. Others, God's going to call you to be doctors and lawyers and uh, oil workers and uh, retail workers and healthcare workers, whatever he calls you to. It's going to be different than what I'm doing. It's going to be different than what Sarah's doing or what Ed's doing. It's even different from what Ron's doing. Ron's retired but I, I know you still do things. You still minister. And, and I still want to have coffee with you, maybe when you get back. We've been planning that for three years, and it hasn't happened yet, so it's coming. And Ron, if you didn't know this, Pastor Ron Sarbo is, uh, how many years were, were you in the ministry, brother? 35 years as a pastor of three or Five different churches. All right. Woohoo! Yep. And even through all of that, he's still married to the same woman. How many years? 49. 49. Next year's the big one, huh? All right. That's exciting news. So, this man is a wealth of information, and he's a part of our body except when they go somewhere for two months. Yeah, anyway. 
God bless you. Enjoy the warm weather. I'm going to start with uh, verse 13. And I've shared this recently, but it starts uh, where I felt like the Lord was telling me to go today. And there are only two ways in this life. And here they are. Verses 13 and 14. You can enter God's kingdom only. Everybody say only. Only only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very what? Narrow. Narrow. And what's that next part? The road is difficult. I want you to hang on to that as we progress today. And only a few ever find it. Now, that's not real optimistic. This is Jesus saying this. I mean, you think about this. Does he know who's coming to heaven? He's God. Does he know who's coming to heaven? Yes. And yet he's saying only a few are going to take this narrow path because that wide path is so inviting, so welcoming. There's such a temptation to do what everybody else is doing. We, we want to look like everybody else. But Jesus is saying, uh-uh. As one of my disciples, the gate is narrow. And if you take that wide one, guess what? Things aren't going to work out so well for you. Are you hearing me this morning, church? As a disciple, we know that the path that leads to life, the narrow path, has many difficulties along the way. And that, what that says to me is, there are going to be tests. There are going to be trials. There's going to be pain and suffering along the way. Now, are these things that we like to talk about in, in, in the Christian church? No. Do we hear messages on this enough? No. Because people are falling away when life hits them between the eyes. And and they're going, Oh Lord, why, why did you allow this to come on me? Like it's something special for them. Well, think about it. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. What happened to him? He went to the cross. He suffered. He died. And he said, many of you will follow the same path. And all of his disciples did, except for John. Even though we're born again, that does not prevent us from having to go through tough times. In fact, it is the tough challenges that allow us to shine our Jesus light the brightest and to bring God glory, praise, and honor. How many would agree that anybody can put on a good face when things are going well? The real test comes when you're facing divorce, sickness, death, loss of, a, loss of your income, loss of a child, of a parent, And you're sitting there going, why? But when your anchor is Jesus, 
He'll get you through this. And you can let your light shine when those moments heat up in your life. Remember Peter? How many would agree he failed a few times before Jesus died, before he was resurrected? Over and over, didn't he? And yet, through all of that, after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus ascended into heaven, what happened next with Peter? Look out, man. That guy was on fire. And he led the church into what became the Pentecostal movement. That was because he, God took those trials and those tests and those tribulations that Peter went through to begin with, and he formed the man he needed Peter to be. He used that for good. And he does the same thing with us. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're going to sit here and go, oh, I can't wait till I go through the trial. <laughs> Nobody wants to go through it. How many in this room, you, you, you have faced uh, death in your house? I mean, I don't mean necessarily somebody dying as much as somebody that was dying and you were there for an extended time. Look at the hands going up in here. And I'm not going to ask you if that made you a better person. I wouldn't want to put you on the spot. But I'm, I'm hoping that somehow God has used that for the good. Can I just get a nod if it has? Yeah, most of you are. Some of you are like, well, I don't know. Is it okay if I talk about stuff like this? This is life, right? This is life. And this is where God wants us to really rely on Him. And that's where I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, that the last song that uh, they sang up here at the offertory, that was a song that the Holy Spirit gave me, leaning on the everlasting arm. I don't know if I've, I think it's been since I was in Bible college that I sang that song. It was a long time ago. And yet, it does something to you. And I want to get that song in your head. And you're going you're gonna to love me for it later. But the reason that I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to sing that, and we're going to sing it again at the end of this service, is because it connects Jesus with our pain and struggles, and it helps us to realize, oh, I need to lean on Him. Lean on the everlasting arm. Who is that? Jesus. Hallelujah. So it has been said that temptation, pain, and trials help make us better, stronger, more faithful Christians. And it isn't something that any of us want to go through necessarily. But I believe it's true. They also lend to drawing us closer to God, or at least they should. Becoming more intimate with Him as we learn to lean on Him. In this next uh, passage here, verses 15 to 17, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. 
And my suggestion to this church today is, look for anyone that is trying to distract you from Jesus. If somebody's trying to get your eyes off of the Lord, that person is a wolf in sheep's clothing. All right? If we get this in our hearts, it's going to help us. And by the way, I'm starting kind of at the, the basics of being a disciple. I'm starting at the very beginning because I know we have all types here. Some of you are new to Christianity. Others, you've been in the, the faith for years, like Ron and Mary. And that's a testament to God, by the way. But what I want you to understand is we can take these things and eventually what I'm going to ask you to do is you're going to teach these things to the newer disciples. So I want you to get this. Is there going to be a test today? No. But if you get this in your spirit and if you understand what it is to be a disciple, you're going to be able to help new believers or people who are seeking after Jesus you're going to be able to help them get to that place where they need to be pursuing God, going after eternal life. Amen? Amen. The next couple of verses, this is the other side. Note that one is burned and one lived. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now, if you look at the context of this, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. And they have a wealth of knowledge about the Old Testament. So they know who God is, at least the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses. They know about him. And they understand the law, the Ten Commands. They've got that buried deep within. But that's where it ends with them. They're, they were very religious people, and Jesus was trying to get them to see the other side. He was trying to get them to understand that religion isn't what it's all about. Relationship is. And it's not just the person with God, it's also the person with each other. Do you take care of your own kind of thing? Because if you don't, you're missing it. The church should take care of its own. When one of you hurts, we should all hurt. When one of us is excited and happy and celebratory, we should all be happy and excited and celebratory. I want to do more of that, by the way. I want to celebrate more of what God's doing in our church. But in the meantime, I just want you to get what Jesus is trying to say to these guys. He's saying, look, it's not your religion that's going to get you to heaven. It's your relationship." Do you really love God? Then start acting like it. Stop putting people under all of these rules that you've made and start applying the golden rule 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's what Jesus was trying to get them to see, but they just weren't buying it. And he says something like this. He's talking directly at them, and they still couldn't see it. Here's the thing. Somebody that's blinded, they're never going to get it. You can't make them understand it. Unless the Holy Spirit illuminates it, they're not going to get it. You're going to talk to them day in and day out, and they're still going to be going, eh? It doesn't take long to determine who a person represents. You know them by the way that they live and by the way that they love. What do you love? Well, the way you live will show people what you love. I used to say, just look at somebody's checkbook, but we don't have checkbooks anymore. So you'll, you'll be able to tell where somebody loves. Hello? Watch somebody how they walk through the fire. Or watch somebody how they respond to prosperity. You know, that's an interesting one too. People that have, do they hold it all for themselves or do they, are they generous with it? Whatever God's blessed them with. Surely God knows and he will judge all people on the fruit that they have produced. And this is where, again, I just for emphasis, there's either good fruit, which leads to heaven, or there's bad fruit, which goes the other way, which leads to hell. Separation from God forever. Now this next couple of verses, this actually had a heading in the NLT, uh, True Disciples. So this is what true disciples look like. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter. I capitalized on that. I made it red. These are Jesus' words. They could be red if he had a red letter edition. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. I don't even want to read the rest. But I will. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Wow. The bottom line is that those who Jesus said he did not know were driven by false motives and they were in it for themselves. And by the way, God can use anybody to perform a miracle. Right? I think this says that. These people were performing miracles. They were casting out demons. And yet, Jesus said, I didn't know you. 
Don't ever think more highly of yourself if God uses you in any capacity. You know, I've had people say to me, when I get up here, I often make it look so easy. But on the inside, I shake like a leaf. And every Sunday, I struggle getting up here into this pulpit. Because I feel the burden or the weight of wanting to make sure that what I deliver to you is from the Lord. Because if it isn't, it's flesh. But if it is, it'll change your life. It'll transform you. And that's the goal. All of us have something to use for the Lord. Something that we're supposed to uh, go after, if you will. See that gift multiply in us. And when we get to that place where we're using our giftings, all of us, or most of us, as I've already said, we're going to become the body of Christ. And people are going to go, oh, you go to that Hope Church. Yeah, those people, they care about each other. They look out for each other. They pray for each other. They love each other. Very important. When God uses you, be thankful, not prideful. Disciples are doers. Say that with me. Disciples are doers. Many talk about honoring God, but few actually do it. And here's just a contrast. Some say, some do. Many use words, but we're supposed to use actions. So let your actions follow your words. Disciples do God's will. And then the next passage, and this is where I really want you to grab hold of this today because I feel like for some of us, as we face these hardships, the trials, the, the tribulations, the tests, the temptations, anybody been tempted lately? Oh, come on, three of you, four of you, there you go. I mean, if we're honest, all of us are tempted all the time. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. The disciple of Jesus is not only going to listen to the words found in the Bible, but they're also going to obey what it says to do. They're going to follow the script of Jesus' commands. And by applying the words of God to your life and living accordingly, you are building on that solid foundation. And I've been emphasizing lately that how important the Bible is and that we get that word in us. If you're going to make it, 
You need God's Word. And I've heard people say this, well, I can't read very well. There's no excuse anymore because now you can get your phone out and it'll read the Bible to you. In fact, that's a great way to learn. You know, if you can do it and still keep your eyes on the road, it's a great way to travel. Turn the Bible on and just let it read it to you as you're driving. Just don't get so excited you drive off the road. This passage talks about rain and torrents. Have any of you ever been in a tropical storm or a, a hurricane? <laughs> Isn't that fun? I've been in it once, maybe twice. Yeah, well, you couldn't see. Sheets of water, just, I mean, it, if you went out in it... So we drove, we were on Merritt Island, which is 100 miles from Lakeland, and we drove to school, Barb and I, once one lovely morning, and we were supposed to be in our class by 8. We got there at 7.50, and by the time we went from our car, and we had umbrellas, by the time we got, went from our car and got up to the guard shack, where the guard said, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> and we're like, we're coming to school. Oh, didn't you get the message? They closed because <laughs> of the hurricane. <laughs> we're like, trials and tribulations. By the time we got to them, our umbrellas had literally broken from the wind and the rain had soaked us all the way through. I'm telling you, I've never been in anything like that. But we were pretty excited to go back home. The floodwaters rising, destructive winds beating against you. What is, what is Jesus trying to tell you here? What are these things representing? So are we exempt from trials and tribulations? Pain and suffering? Temptations? Did Jesus go through all these? Yes. And he successfully made it through so that we could too. You are saved by grace and not by your works. I'm almost done. Maybe. When we realize that if we build our foundation on the rock, on Jesus, by the way, I hope you know that, Jesus is the rock, right? When you build your house on Jesus, when the heat amps up, it's not going to harm you. The next side of this is the other side. You see how Jesus does that? He shows us one side and then the other. Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is, a, is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now just to paint the picture, as I, we used to go to the beach a lot down in uh, Merida, on Merritt Island in Florida. And we would build sand castles, or the boys would. And they'd build some pretty cool-looking things. Well, what would happen? The tide rose, and the waves would come crashing in, and within minutes, 
those little lovely sandcastles or whatever they built disappeared completely. Now picture a tsunami coming at you if you're on the beach and you built your house on sand. What's going to happen? It's gone. There's nothing going to be left of it. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying. The foolish person is going to be destroyed. But the smart person, the wise person, they're going to build their house on the rock, which is Jesus. How many are going to cry out to God when their world comes crashing down because they built their house on the sand? I hope you can see a modern application to this today. Too many people around us are building their house in the sand or on the sand. It looks great from an outside perspective, but as soon as bad weather comes and the rains start pelting it and the winds, what's going to happen? It's going to be destroyed. But we don't have to worry about that, do we? But do we or should we worry about those who are still building their houses on the sand? See, a disciple doesn't only think of themselves, but they think of others. And I think this is the shift that we as a church need to make. We need to start being aware and concerned about those who are going to die if they don't meet Jesus. We have the good news. We've built our houses on the rack. We're safe. Now what? Let's grab as many as we can and pull them onto the rock that we're standing on. Let's not just look at this as our own personal victory, but as a church May we start looking out and seeing people who are dying, who are going to go to hell because they don't know Jesus. The final part of this, the last part of chapter 7, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Sadly, the Jewish leaders did not know what to think of Jesus. The words that the master spoke, they contradicted the image that they had in their head, the preconceived idea that they had of God. They were so far removed from God's love that though he stood in the flesh right in front of them, they couldn't see who he was. And I've heard people say, if Jesus came into the modern church today, would we recognize him? Some days I think we would. And other days, not so sure. But I want to recognize him. I want to know that if he comes through that door or that door, if you bring him in with you, that I'm going to be able to say, ah, that's Jesus. We're not going to be so 
distracted by the world, living our lives in such a way that we don't even know who he is and yet call ourselves the church. We can be so detached from God, so self-serving, that we miss God's love when it's right in front of us. And this is something, as I, as I put that down on paper, the Holy Spirit said, there are going to be people that I put in front of you. And, and this is for us. You could test the Spirit on this, but he said, I'm going to put people in front of you who <laughs> you're not going to want anything to do with them because they aren't going to look like you. But I want you to love them like I loved you. I want you to get past your personal bias, your preconceived ideas about what a Christian should look like, and love them unconditionally and pull them up on your rock. Hmm? That sounded pretty good to me. Now, <laughs> now we just have to put it into action. And guess what? I think the Lord's going to give us an opportunity. Don't dismiss, this is another one, don't dismiss pain as something that's always from the devil. Hear this. Oftentimes, Pain is what we need to restart our relationship with God or to rekindle the fire of the Holy Spirit that's within us. Sometimes we need that, right? Any of you ever been there? Personal experience? I have. Was it enjoyable? No. But on the other side of that pain, I was closer to the Lord and I knew who I was in Christ. Because when you go through something serious, there's no wishy-washy faith. You're either in or out. And when you have to face some of this stuff that we're talking about here today, man, you better know that you're right with the Lord and that He's your rock. Or it is going to level you. As the worship team comes, Let us take the narrow road knowing that difficulties are ahead. Would you stand up with me? Wake up! Everybody say, take the narrow road. Let us bear good fruit as we strive to do God's will. Well, in order to do God's will, what do you have to do? You have to figure out what God's will is. <laughs> right? Right? You, how can you do God's will if you don't know what it is? Well, where do I find that, Pastor Norm? Thank you. Don't go to anybody else's book. Here's how to find God's will. Go to the Bible. Yeah. 
Let us be doers of the word. Let us not just speak the word, right? And then finally, build your life on the rock, the solid rock, meaning Jesus. I put this up, this slide. Do you respond to God's saving grace in faith and practice? And over the weeks, I hope that you're going to find yourself saying yes more and more. And my last slide is this. Do you have the right stuff that makes you a disciple of Jesus? I think a big part of this is the willingness to go through whatever God puts in front of you and realizing that not all pain and suffering and temptation is from the devil. Sometimes it's there to grow us up, to mature us. And I believe the Lord wants us to see that today. Father, we again are, are here today because we want to know you more intimately. And Jesus said that you were in the Father, or he was in the Father, and the Father was in him. And then he said, and you are in me, speaking to his disciples. So you are also in the Father. So to be a part of God's family, we just need to be in Jesus. And the rest will come. But the first step, the most important step, is that we confess our sins so that He'll make us or cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. And I just want to begin there today because I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're right with God. You've got everything going for you. You're a mature disciple and you can't wait until we get to the next level. But I believe that some of you are in, a, a, you're in that beginning stage. And this is where the Holy Spirit does amazing work in us. When we say, Lord, I confess my sin to you. Now help me to be a new creation in Christ. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, if you would, just for a minute. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Norm, would you pray with me? I just want to make sure I'm right with him today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up real quick so I can see it? Thank you. Others? Thank you. Anybody else? Hallelujah. We good? Everybody else is good. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're at home online today and you would say, Pastor Norm, I need that prayer. And if you're serious about it, I'm going to help you to pray here. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to invite Jesus into your life. Into your, we call it heart. But he, what he's going to do is he's literally going to take up residence in you through his Holy Spirit. He's going to live in you from this day forward. When you pray this prayer, it's going to change you from the inside out. And you are going to be ready to receive whatever it is that God wants to put in you from this day forward. So I want you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I know I'm broken. And I need help. I'm a sinner. And I can't heal myself. 
So today, I confess my sin and I invite Jesus to cleanse me of my unrighteousness through his shed blood. Lord, make me a new person. Help me to be humble. Help me to be a learner. Help me to pick up my cross and follow you. And when pain comes or temptation, I pray I'd be strong. That I'd get up on that rock. The rock of my salvation. Jesus. I confess my sin to you, Lord. And I believe I am cleansed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.